and you just hear the radios going, there's a black hawk going down, and we're all looking, and I can see him going down. If behind me is north, he's kind of spinning like this to the northeast, and he's gonna go down pretty close. He only goes down about five blocks away. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Kenny Thomas. For years, I struggled to find the clarity of purpose in my life and the single-minded focus that I had when I was an athlete. You know, it just felt like I was working hard but not really getting any closer to where I wanted to go. And to be honest, I really didn't even know or have a clear vision on where I wanted to go. Then I discovered a powerful four-step blueprint that I began to apply to my life, and it changed everything. Now, every morning, I'm excited to attack the day because I have a clarity of purpose and I have confidence in my plan and I have peace of mind in knowing that I'm back on that path to elite success. Anyone, and I mean anyone, can use this four-step process to recreate the key elements in the life of an elite performer so you can regain that clarity of purpose and that single-minded focus so that you can both achieve your goals and live a balanced life. I created a, a free PDF for you outlining the four-step Reveal Your Path Blueprint for Success just go to jimharshawjr.com slash blueprint. That's jimharshawjr.com slash blueprint to get instant access to that free PDF. Who is Kenny Thomas? Well, I'll give you the uh, sort of written bio first and I'll go uh, give you a quick background. As a member of Bravo Company of the 3rd Ranger Battalion, Sergeant Kenny Thomas was deployed to Mogadishu, Somalia, as part of a special operations package called Task Force Ranger. What they were over there to do was to capture a criminal warlord named Muhammad Farah Idid. And in this episode, Kenny goes into detail about the whole day, the whole operation, the whole mission of what we have come to know as Black Hawk Down. He walks us through this story and it's extremely powerful. This episode's a little bit long. This is one of those episodes where you pause it and you don't forget about it. You come back to it because, man, I got chills down my spine many, many times as he was talking. He just shares some super powerful lessons. He also shared after the episode images with me that I'm putting into the action plan some of the guys he talks about, and then also, you know, just some of the locations that he's talking about that you may have heard about if you if you watch the movie or, or read the book. But a little bit of more background on, on him: he was a swimmer in college. He's also a country musician, so we're gonna have links to his music in the action plan, uh, as well as, like I said, those images. Uh, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time, but also downrangers with an s dot com is a program that he talks about at the end. But I'm gonna have that in the action plan as well. Down rangers.com. So anyway, I, I don't want to waste any more time. There's so many absurdly, incredibly powerful, moving messages in this interview. So let's just get right into it. My interview with Kenny Thomas, a soldier, boots on the ground during the Battle of Mogadishu, what has become known as Black Hawk Down. Let's start from the beginning. You enlisted in the Army in 1991 after graduating from the University of Florida. What led you to the military? Well, the Gulf War was going on, and I felt like I should go do my part. Uh, my dad had been in the military, and he was actually an Army Ranger. If you go to a military audience, Jim, and you ask them, hey, how many of y'all in this room had a family member who served before you? 90-something percent of the room will raise their hand, and it's, it's a family business, and it's it's interesting because I didn't really grow up with my dad. You know, he didn't, that the Vietnam War, the, their marriage was a casualty of that. Like that, it didn't last. 
I just always respected it for whatever reason. And, and it was just something I felt like I should go do. And I, and then I went in and ended up, it suited me. <laughs> it suited me that, uh, I enjoyed the challenge of, there was always a different level you could get to. There was always something more elite that you could go try out for. And that place made sense to me. It's like on the wrestling mat. If you wrestle better than the other guy, you win that match. If I was better than the other person, then I made the unit and it made sense to me, which <laughs> the music business is not like that at all, however. But yeah, that's what got me in. And I ended up staying in a little longer than I thought I would. Yeah. And, and you became an Army Ranger. What was that like for you? What was Ranger school like? So the Rangers are a special operations unit. There are a handful of special operations units throughout all the different services, right? So you have Navy SEALs. You have Air Force PJs and uh, combat controllers, Army Rangers, Army Special Forces teams, psychological warfare guys. There are all these different units that are part of the special operations community. And the Rangers are, their job mainly was small unit raids. And so you learn from the moment you walk into the Ranger Regiment as a young soldier, a new guy who, you know, you got you to get through a lot of demanding courses to get into the regiment, a lot of selection processes. But once you get there, you don't know a whole lot. And you kind of got to learn the ways that they do these things. And it's a, it's a tough, very difficult learning curve because you walk in and these guys are, I came in and there were a bunch of combat veterans already in there. And they, you know, they were young 20 something year old combat veterans and just pissing vinegar you know and, and they were like yelling at you all the time and and until you can actually prove yourself then you sort of get accepted into that onto the teams and you start working your way up as a young leader so everything that we do and i probably should have prefaced it with that everything that we do in the rangers was about leading others. So the Ranger motto is Rangers lead the way. They never told you that that's a rank. It's not a title and it's not a position. It's the example you set for the people you serve. And we all serve somebody. And you learn very quickly that the people you're serving are the men and women on your left and your right. There's a lot of, lot of lessons in there probably in the real world, right? It's, it's not about us. It's about the person on our right and the person on our left. And as we get into the story, and I'll tell you stories about super soldiers that were Delta Force operators that were your, your army elite, like your Pro Bowl, all-star, gold medal Olympians, that their skill sets and the training that they had and their worth as soldiers and athletes, basically, it wasn't so that they could up their contract at the next free agent draft. It was in the service of others kind of the way that we see our mission success is we can break it down into three things. If you can do these three things well, the key to mission success, it's, it, we call it my mission, my people, myself. So we put our mission and we put our people before ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't hold ourselves to the highest of standards. It doesn't mean that we go and slack off because we don't have time because we're doing everything else for the mission. The better you are, the better you can serve your people, and therefore the more chances of success of the mission. So you had to take these lessons that you learned at some level through training and then actually apply them in the real world. And, and you served uh, as part of Operation Restore Hope. 
and you know in the battle of mogadishu and the hellish 18 hours that has come to be known as black hawk down can you take us to the moment when you arrived in mogadishu and before that battle and, and kind of going into it and what where your mind was then and what that experience was like for you i know that's a huge question there's been books written about it and movies and everything else but i'd love to hear from your perspective what was it like when you when you arrived there well we were under the umbrella of operation restore hope but the group that we were sent in with was called task force ranger and it was made up of one company of rangers so about 130 of us one squadron of delta force commandos and then the 160th special operations air regiment which is the helicopters and their crews so like the captain kirks of army aviations and we were sent in a very small package and we were kind of under the radar because if you remember by 1993 all that America knew of Somalia was that we were there to feed the starving people. And we sent in some Marines, we sent in some National Guard, we sent in some army and they fed them and we did a good job. And then President Bush said, okay, let's all go home. And everybody went home. Well, just like Afghanistan, as soon as we pull out, the bad guys move right back in. They know that we're not gonna stay there forever and they just wait. And so there was a guy named Adid and he was a warlord and he'd been attacking United Nations food shipments because in a, in a starving nation, food meant power. When he began attacking American troops who were guarding the food shipments, then we were sent in as this special operations package to go hunt this guy down. So we weren't, to say that we were part of Restore Hope would be kind of odd because we were kicking in doors at night. And by the time October rolled around, we had already run 44 raids into the city. And if we couldn't get a deed, we had a most wanted list up on this wall. We had his key players that we were going after and we were making some progress, but it was super slow, Jim. And it was taking its toll, like, cause we were just tired. We, we were training constantly during the day and then running raids at night. And so finally on a Sunday, the 3rd of October was a day off and they said, y'all take the day off, do whatever it is you want to do. And guys were, you know, people playing volleyball out. The airport sits right on the beach. I was writing a letter home to my mom and she still has the front end of the letter. I never finished it, but I, I was totally lying. It started I was like, dear mom, you would love her here in sunny Mogadishu. Like, don't tell mom what's going on. She doesn't want to know. Tell her it's restore hope. Tell her we're feeding the kids and they love it. You know, sugarcoated a little bit. Yeah, because I don't blame them. You know, they knew we were there to get a deed, and he went into hiding, and they didn't like us being there. And so the call comes in on this. Uh, just guy walks out of the airplane hangar and just kind of yells out in the courtyard, just "Get it on!" And it meant gear up, go. Just like firefighters or police officers get that call. And that's pretty much how the mission went down. And to say it was fairly routine would be a fair assessment because we had done it every day. You know, you can imagine everything that's going on. Everybody's running in, they're throwing on their gear and, and changing into their Superman uniform. And everybody's got assignments that they're responsible for, different weapon systems, different equipment. So I'm just going down the line, checking on my guys as my buddy Doug, who was the squad leader, goes in to get the the mission brief. And so we're just, you don't know if it's going to be a real mission or you don't know if they're going to call it off at the last minute because they've done some of that before. So you just kind of have to always have your head right. And how do you do that? Like you train, you know, we, we, we constantly prep for it. 
And we have a saying in the, in the Ranger Regiment that I think works really well out here in, in the real world, which is train as you fight, fight as you train. And that's not anything that you guys don't already know. Like your coach told you every day, Jim, we're going to practice like we play. So we're going to practice hard. And, you know, some of the toughest matches you ever had were against your own teammates in practice. You know, it wasn't out there in a tournament. And the same thing with me. The hardest days in swimming were in training. It wasn't in the actual meet. So that's, that's the same thing with the Rangers train, you fight, fight, you train. Your, you know, your music teachers will tell you that. Marriage counselors will tell you you're going to get out of it what you put into it. So we were ready to go, whatever the mission was that day. So. So this kind of sets the stage and everybody's, you know, running to get their gear on, to suit up. And, and then what? Well, we have to figure out, okay, what's the mission? And so I'll tell you what I was doing right then while I'm waiting to figure out what's going on. It usually takes five or six minutes for the headquarters guys to come back out and tell you, give you the intel and tell you, here's the five W's, who, what, why, when, and where. That's really all you need to do. That's all we need to make this happen. It's like, it's like Brady calling the play in the huddle. You know, he doesn't have to go and explain everything. He just calls the play because you guys already know what it is. So we just got to know what the play is going to be. So I'm going down the line. I'm checking my guys. And if we have the time, I, I'll introduce you to them. Because if I tell the story from a stage, it's always about these guys. That's my perspective of the battle. It's the guys who were around me. So my most senior guy was Melvin DeJesus. DeJesus had been with the Rangers almost a year so, and he had gone to ranger school, so he had earned that ranger tab. It's kind of like getting an Eagle Scout badge. It's a big deal when you go through ranger school. Ranger school, really, it's a three-month course. It's open to anybody in the Army that wants to come, but it's their leadership school, and it's just a three-month suck fest is what it is. They put you into situations. You're learning small unit tactics, and you're learning how to do raids, but the whole time you're just physically and mentally done. So you're, you're weak and you're drained and they teach you how to lead people in those situations. When people are at their worst is when it's most difficult to lead them and keep them out. And what you learn very fast in ranger school is you're about as good as the guy next to you. Because if that guy's not doing his job, you're too weak and too tired to be able to do it yourself. And so you, when you earn your ranger tab, puts you into this, you're next in line to be like a team leader. So the Jesus was my next in line. And he was a street hard, tough guy. And everybody knows tough guy because like you can't throw anything at tough guy because he's seen it all back in the neighborhood. So he was good things on our side. So my middle guy was Eric Saransky. He had not gone to ranger school yet. He was next in line, but he was that kid that you know, you've coached this kid, you've hired these kids, they're just squared away. You give them one block of instruction and they, they're self-motivated, got it. And they go and make it happen. It makes you feel good about, well, man, I must be a really good teacher because he, <laughs> they're just squared away. And I wish that everyone that they send you could be like a David Saransky, but they're not. Sometimes you get the, the super new guy, which is David Floyd. And David was my my newest, he hadn't been with us maybe six months. He had the mental drive. Like the, the fact that he was in the Rangers was a testament to his fortitude, his mental fortitude, because physically he didn't look the part, man. Like he's that kid that walked out there in the 130 pound weight class who was 5'11". 
you know, and he just looked like a stick. And you're like, and, and, and he goes up against the other dude who looks like this freaking Hulk, you know, at one, like, how's a 135 pound kid look that big? And then David's over there, hey, y'all, how's it going? He, I grew up in the South. He was like, a, he was a bless your heart, you know, they just didn't look the part. And I had uh, mixed feelings about David. I, I was impressed by the fact that he made it into the regiment, but he needed more help and teaching and coaching and mentoring than I knew how to give him as a young team leader. And you and I were talking ahead of time before this started. And let, you know, this is a great place to reinforce your message of learning by failure. I had my own ideas of what set the example for others to follow meant. In the sales world, we get wrapped around the axle about performance. And sometimes we think, okay, all right, well, we're leading the way. We got the best numbers this quarter and we're crushing the competition. We're leading the way. You know, just because I can shoot, move, and communicate better than David. All right, I showed you how to do it. I thought that if I did it better, that I was setting an example. Jim, I know a lot of guys that can shoot better than me and they can move faster than I can. Doesn't make them better leaders. And I had to get taught that what I was really doing was setting David up for failure because what I was doing was I wasn't giving him a chance to fail. I was taking it all from him. I'd be, I, you know, I showed you, no, nah, no, nah, that's not how you do it. Come on, I, I, let's follow me. Let's go. We'll do this later. And, and I was going to try and do it all for him and try and just keep the team looking good, right? Well, my platoon sergeant saw what I was doing, Sergeant Watson. He calls me into his office one day and he's, it's like, Sergeant Thomas, let's talk about Private Floyd. I'm like, yeah, right, Sergeant. Let's move him over to the motor pool. That's a good place to put it. He's like, Cause no, because no, that young man is your most important asset. I'm like, how's that, Sergeant? He's like, he's your machine gunner. And if he's not the best machine gunner he can be, your squad is weak. And if your squad is weak, that means my platoon is crippled. And if my platoon is crippled, I can't send us out on the mission. The mission is difficult enough as it is with everybody firing on all cylinders. We're as good as our weakest link. And right now, Sergeant Thomas, you are my weakest link. And you and I have that type A achievement headspace. That's something I wasn't used to hearing. You're my weakest link. And what he was trying to tell me was I needed to adjust fire on the way that I was teaching Floyd because I wasn't really teaching him. So, so let's get to the point of allowing someone to fail. Failure is where we learn, correct? That's why you teach your kids to fail. What I never did with David is I never put him in charge. And that's what you're supposed to do. You put him in charge and you let him screw up and then you stand back and you guide them. Like, okay, because at some point, if I gave him the map and the compass, he's gonna figure out by mistakes that that's not how you do it. And he's not going to learn if I, I do it for him all the time and don't allow the whole squad. So we have to have that patience to let him. The first action in learning is failure. That's why we call it fail. F-A-I-L. First action in learning is failure. And I wasn't giving him the chance to do that because I wanted us to look great and I was trying to do it all ourselves. But I had to reevaluate the way I was teaching him and then... While we were in Mogadishu, I started putting a lot more responsibility on his shoulders. Hey, take charge of this. Hey, you go do that. Hey, let me see you do that. And then what'd you do wrong that time, David? Well, I forgot to put the charging handle. There you go. Now you got it, right? Roger that, sorry. So that when the day comes, 
and they say, get it on. You look over to your right, as goofy as he is, bless his heart, he's still a great machine gunner because you know you've put him through the paces and you taught him. Look, when you and I got introduced, Jim, and I knew what your topic was, I, I, I'm the guy in the choir just going, amen, brother. Because the thing that we teach, the quickest way to bring men and women together into a unit, a tight net unit, is through shared hardship. Shared hardship. And hardship isn't going to mean you're going to come out on top every single time. Most of the time, you're going to screw it up. And I love that you reference Abe Lincoln. For those of us who subscribe to this philosophy, we all know his story, you know, and you have to be as a leader, a parent, a mentor, a coach, you have to tap into some inner patience to allow that to happen so that they become stronger for it. And as a motivational speaker, I wouldn't be very good if I didn't try and lift up the audience too. So if there's my mission, my people, and myself, what I tell people is you have what it takes. You, you just may be selling yourself short. Like we're, we're human. We're magnificent at selling ourselves short. Like we, we do it all the time. Like check next time when someone tells you, pays you a compliment. The first thing we try and do is deflect it. Like, you know, I, you know, oh, it's not me. I, you know, and we make excuses and, and, but you have what it takes. But when I need you, and here's like, this would be like the big lesson. When we need you is when it's hard. I don't need you when it's easy. If it's easy, I can accomplish it on my own. I don't need the help. I don't need the person on my left and my right. But when I do need you is when it's hard. And difficult situations, you have to train and train and train on them. And the only way you will get through them is to do it to get, nobody takes the hill alone. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. Man, that sums it up. Like just, nobody takes the hill alone. For the listener, I want you to really understand what Kenny's talking about here because it's easy to sit here and listen to a podcast and you listen to somebody who's achieved success and, and go, yeah, that sounds great. And I'm sitting here in my car or running on my treadmill or wherever you're at right now as the listener. But when you go back into the real world, when you leave podcast world and you go back into the real world, are you aware of not only the fact that when you fail, it is learning, right? It's the first step in learning, but also the people who you lead, whether that's your kids or your students or your athletes or the direct reports at work that you have, are you letting them experience this? Are you being the leader that is aware of this and allowing them to fail, giving them guidance, giving them feedback, but allowing them to fail? And are you also, like Kenny talked about, you know, depending on the person on the right, on your right and your left, are you lifting them up and supporting them? Because we all have a mission in the world and, and we have a lot of missions in the world, a lot of us, right? Whether it's at home, at work and otherwise in the community, like this is a philosophy that if you internalize this and think about this more than for just the half an hour or so you're listening to this podcast episode, 
it's not going to go very far if, if it stops at the end of this episode. You have to be aware of this. So you might have to go back and re- listen to this again. You might have to download the action plan. It's at jimharshowjr.com slash action and then print that out. Whatever you have to do to remember that. So sorry, Kenny, I had to, I had to really dig into that because there was so much there that you just shared. Yeah, that's the thing. How do you step away from the motivational book? How do you step away from Jim's podcast? How do you step away from the sermon? How do you step away from the lesson and then take it, what you took from it, because we all take something different from it. You're going to get out of it what you I always say. You're going to get out of these things what you want to get out of them. It's like going to church. But so when we turn and we walk and we go back to our people and whatever that people may be, do you just tap on it? Today, it may be my family. It might be my community. It might be my coworkers. It might be my country. Whatever it is that is your people, how do you take that with you? And I'll tell you, this is usually how I would wrap things up after the whole story gets told, Jim, but it'll bear repeating. We'll say it again at the end. If you're stuck on how to take this information that you're hearing and how do I implement that into my life. I will tell you the biggest gift that you've been given at any moment while you're still above ground walking on this planet is who has been put on your left and who has been put on your right. Who are you leading? Who are you following? And what example are you setting? If you can just put that into your, be aware of it, you will begin to change the way that you react to people because you will start thinking who do I want to be in that moment? Do I want to be the person who sets the example for the others to follow? Do I want to be the person who serves others? You know, I do. What can I do in this moment? If you can just be aware of that, it'll grab your attention. And there's a story I'll tell you. The mission that we did was a raid. It was a daylight raid. It was pretty daring. We don't like going in in the daytime for obvious reasons. If there's any veterans listening today, they'll tell you we don't like to go in the day because they can see you. And they, they were bad guys. Like they had been shooting at us. So we knew if they were going to see us, they would shoot. And so you prefer that they don't shoot. So that's why we try and go in at night because they can't see as well. But they met in the middle of the day. The initial raid was a success. We came in on the helicopters. We hit the target building, got two dozen bad guys out of the building. Two of the people in that group are high value targets. They were on our most wanted list. They loaded everybody on the trucks. The trucks drive away. As the last truck is turning the corner, and I'm watching the truck move the corner, all of a sudden, that's where the whole Black Hawk Down thing, the radios lit up. The call sign was Super 6-1 was their call sign. It was Cliff Walcott and Bull Briley were the two pilots. And you just hear the radios going, there's a Black Hawk going down. We're all looking. And I can see him going down. If behind me is north, he's kind of spinning like this to the northeast. And he's going to go down pretty close. He only goes down about five blocks away. And Jim, I can describe to you what we were feeling. You know, people will say, oh, I can't imagine such a, yeah, you can, because you've been through, it's a human emotion. And I can guarantee you that in the last two years, somebody out there has felt this and they have lost somebody unexpectedly. And you've gotten that phone call, hey, you know, dad's in the hospital and you need to get here tonight. Well, what, he was, he, he took a shot. He should be fine. Yeah, he should be, but he, you need to get here tonight. The doctors are saying he may not make it. God forbid, you know, as parents, something ever happened to our kids. And it's the same thing with the country that we went through as a nation. Like we're all saying the same thing. I can't believe this is happening. 
That's the first response. And I think it's a human thing. I, I, I get it. I can't believe that's happening. But it is happening. And the sooner that you can come to grips with the fact that it's happening to you, and you can get over the fact that it's happening to you, the sooner you can come to realize that it's also happening to the people on your left and your right. It's happening to others. Very rarely does it ever happen to just us. Someone else is being affected. And when you can figure that one out, that's when I will ask you, who do you want to be in that moment? Who do you want to be? And notice, I don't pretend, I mean, you and I have had coaches in the past that would say, hey, you know, do the right thing. I think that's too all-encompassing. I think that's too, it's too vague. Do the right thing. Because if you and I sat down and asked a group of 30 people what the right thing is, you're going to get 30 different answers, 30 very slightly different answers, unless you are all part of something very tight-knit and unified, and you said your Ranger Creed every single day, and so that your values were completely aligned. But if I ask you, who do you want to be in that moment? That's an easy choice because you really only have three choices now. Like when people come to me and they'll like, hey, what would you do in such a, and I go, remember when I told you you only have three choices? Let's break it down. We can lead, follow, or we can get out of the way. Getting out of the way is sometimes a very viable option. Like don't be part of the problem. And when I say get out of the way, like you and I have seen it. How many times have we turned on the news and seen somebody standing there blaming somebody about this and why this happened and where's FEMA and why didn't that go down the way it should and they should have done? How about you roll your sleeves up and go get to work and be part of the solution and quit standing there belly aching? Like you can lead or you can follow. And that was basically our mindset as special operators. So the bird goes down and we already knew what needed to happen. Those guys were in trouble. They were gonna need help. Our mindset wasn't, oh my gosh, the helicopter shot down, who's gonna cover for us? How are we getting out of here? Oh God, this sucks. It was like, hey, those guys are in trouble, we gotta go help them. That's our mindset. When we need you is when it's hard. The mission has now changed. And so this is where it becomes, we're gonna have to move to the crash site. Fortunately, we trained on this. We knew it was a possibility that a helicopter might have a malfunction. We didn't presume that they would ever get shot down, but we knew that they might have a malfunction. If they crashed in the city, how could we help secure the site? So we had plans in place and the vehicles that had just driven away are now gonna reroute. They still have the prisoners on the vehicles and everything. They're just gonna go meet us at the crash because they'll get there. It's only five blocks that way. So the 80 guys that were on the target building that did the initial raid, there were some Delta Force guys and some Rangers, were gonna move to the crash on foot. And that's when, you know, the whole thing kind of changed. And our squad was the, was the very last group to move. And I can look down the street and I can see the, the guys moving down the road and I can see them making the left turn. And in my peripheral, I've got, the whole city has stopped shooting at us and they're all running for the crash. Like you can see it in your, in your left and your right down the alleyways and in the cross streets. And just as I get ready to roll, Doug, my buddy who's a squad leader, Doug's like, you know, I'm hit. And he goes in and the medic goes running back to look at him. Sergeant Watson, the platoon sergeant, goes back and looks at him and comes back out. And he says, you know, he looks at me and he goes, hey, Bourne's been hit. And he hands me Doug's radio and says, you're in charge. Just hands it to me. 
and says, you're in charge. And, and I know I had that look on my face, which was like, like right now I'm in charge. Like I got to, <laughs> and what I, what I remember from that moment was Sergeant Watson looked at me and he, he almost smiled and he said, Sergeant Thomas, take a breath. You're in charge. And he turned and he went down the road. He didn't stick around to go, okay, Kenny, you got this, buddy. Come on now. We're going to help you out. And when this is over, we're going to give everybody a participation ribbon. This is fantastic. You're the man. Like, I don't want you out of your comfort zone. Like, he knew what I was going to do because I had no choice. And he had taught me what to do in those situations. Got to lead. And here's the lesson, man. You don't have to be happy about the soup sandwich that you get handed. You don't. And man, and I empathize. I know. I hear, I've heard them all. Like, I didn't ask for this. I, I know you didn't. And this isn't my responsibility. Oh, it is now. And then here's my favorite one. It's not my fault. Yeah, but it's your problem. And now who are you going to be in that moment? I had three guys that were looking at me. And I took a breath. I'm like, all right, guys, that makes me the squad leader, Jesus. You're now the team leader. They, you know, the Jesus is down the road, halfway running. In Puerto Rico, everyone was a team leader. Follow me. You know, like, all right, go with him. So the whole thing's changed. When, when we made that left turn, that's when everything got bogged down. You got to picture like 100 guys spread out over two blocks. When I turned the corner, I could look down the street and I saw the wreck was about two blocks down, just off to the right. And so now you got 100 guys on both sides of the street fighting the city. And they told us at that moment we were outnumbered 10 to 1. Now, I never saw 10 guys running at us, but the pilots who were flying overhead trying to cover for us will tell you, man, you guys had no idea what was up on the roofs and behind the walls. And, and The story is phenomenal. I mean, I wish we had a, another hour to tell the whole story. Walk us through sort of the moments that most stick out in your mind throughout the rest of that day and how you dealt with those psychologically and then how this thing culminated for you. Uh, that's easy because what sticks out in my mind, I've told this story so much and I had to be very careful about going back. I, I haven't watched the movie maybe two or three times. Like I watched it when it came out and I've watched it with somebody, but I haven't watched it much because I have to be very careful about what is reality and what is a movie. And I don't want my brain to mix the two of them up because I, I tell the story so much. I recall quite a bit. There's a lot of detail that I, I mean, I, I remember looking at the ground and seeing like a date on the ground that had fallen from a tree and picking it up and going, that's no good. For why I did that? I have no idea. But I, I remember, I remember a lot of stuff and, but the things that stand out to me and what I choose to pass on to people are the acts of heroic proportion that I saw in the, in the definition of the word heroic, like we, and every veteran out there will agree with me. So I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. We throw the word hero around quite a bit just because someone's worn the uniform. I'm not going to tell you that I'm a hero, but thank you for thinking that. But you know, what I saw valor, people putting themselves in the line of fire without even thinking or blinking in order to help somebody. And, and because there, there wasn't a whole lot of places to go, you couldn't, you're out in the street fighting, you know, just think about that. There's not a lot of cover. 
And it's why we kind of kicked in the doors when it started to get dark. And by this point, at about an hour into it, we had so many casualties already. We couldn't get the pilot's bodies out because they were crushed in the wreckage. So we had to keep fighting and the vehicles couldn't get to us because they were getting hammered. So another great point to make is the enemy gets a vote. And that's a, you can weave that into your thing, Jim, with the failure, because what, that's what the enemy is wanting. They want you to fail. They want to succeed. So they're not going to let you just get away with whatever your plan is. Like We underestimate that quite a bit. And that's one of the lessons that we learned from this battle was we definitely grossly underestimated their capabilities of taking down aircraft with RPGs because it's such a rudimentary rocket propelled. They've been using it for decades. But they learned from bin Laden, who taught them, hey, you can't stop the Americans from coming in. But if you can take down one of the helicopters, they will all run to the crash to help, because that's what they do. And then you can surround them and crush them and close the city. And that's what they were doing. So the vehicles couldn't get to us. And guys were just out there. Like The story that I'll tell you that will illustrate the links that people will go to for each other I want to tell the story of Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart, and it's call the crash that, we're, that I'm talking about right now that we ran to, and the hundred of us are fighting, call that crash site one. As soon as Super 6-1 was shot down, 6-1 crashes, we all run to the crash. All the vehicles are going to the crash. Somebody has to come into the pattern and cover for us. That's Mike Durant's bird, Super 6-4. 6-4 gets called into the pattern, and he comes in. Mike flies about three orbits, so maybe he was in the air for 10 minutes. He gets shot down with a rocket and crashes eight blocks away over there, a mile away. There was nobody left to get to him. And it was so far beyond our what-if contingency scenario planning and training, when nobody ever dreamed you could lose two birds. There was nobody left. There was no backup force. There was a small group of guys that had headed back to the airfield early. They jumped in Humvees and they're coming. Like, we're five minutes out. Another helicopter flies over to the bird to that second crash, crash site two, Mike Durant. Miraculously, all four men survived the crash, the bird pancakes. All of them survived. A couple of them are unconscious, but you can see in the video feed, they're moving. They're alive. 200, and I'm not exaggerating, 200 armed militia are moving for that crash. Gary Gordon, Randy Shugart, and Brad Holling were Delta Force snipers on board Super 6-2. Super 6-2 flies over and they say, all right, we're going to insert you three guys and we're going to go to the crash and secure it until help can come. Yeah, denied. Wait, what? The pilot gets on the radio and says, no, I got three Delta guys here. We see the crash. They're alive. There's bad guys moving in. We got to move now. Yeah, denied. We cannot risk losing your helicopter. We don't have backup. We don't know when backup's going to get to you. We can't risk it. Gary Gordon grabs the radio, and you you can hear the radio transmissions if you ever got access to it and went, went back. Gary says, let me speak to the actual. And so he wants to speak to the man. General Garrison comes on the radio and says, Gary, do you know what you're asking? It's like, sir, and the last words, the last words anyone ever heard him say, sir, we're their only hope. I I can promise you he didn't know the names of the crew. They weren't his buddies and his friends. So we're their only hope. 
right about then was when the crew chief gets shot. So Brad Hollings grabs the big machine gun because it's the best way he can cover for you. He goes, all right, I'll cover from the air. You two move to the crash. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart, the bird sets down. Gary Gordon and Randy start running on foot to, that, to the crash site too. They get to it and methodically are trying to hold off the bad guys with sniper rifles, which is, you know, one shot. Bam! Bam! They, they ran out of ammo and they got overran. Brad Holling was in the bird trying to cover for them and they got hit with a rocket. The rocket actually took Brad's leg right off. Third bird is out. It crashes at the airfield. Everyone at the crash site was killed except for Mike Durant. He survived. And Mike will tell you the same thing I tell you. By the grace of God, the only reason I'm still here is because of the men who are on my left and my right. And he will tell you, Gary Gordon, Randy Shugart, one of them dragged him out of the crash and stuck him behind a wall, get him out of the line of fire. And so the mob that overran the crash didn't see him. The second group took him captive, but we got him back 11 days later. Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's the only time in the history of the citation that it reads exactly the same for both men. So when I tell you it's an honor and a privilege and, and quite a, it's a responsibility, it's why I agreed to do all these, these podcasts. If you were to ask Gary or Randy why they did that, why, why would you do that? I mean, they, you were told not to. They would have told you very simply. I took an oath and I took a vow and I said a creed every day. I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And while that was his motivating force was this promise that he made. Decisions are always very difficult at those types of levels because the guy in the aircraft made the same promise. The one that said, no, you're denied, knew the consequences of the decisions he was making as the leader. I feel for him. That was the guy's name was Colonel Matthews. I feel for Colonel Matthews because he didn't want to have to say denied, but he didn't want to risk more lives. So he had to make a bigger decision. What's better for everybody? Gary, on the other hand, will tell you if he was alive, what any soldier that has ever strapped on the boots in the history of the United States will ever tell. I don't care if you go back to Gettysburg, you know, go back to the battlefield and the boys on both sides of the line, you ask them why you're doing this. No one will say we're fighting. Well, we want slavery and we believe in states' rights and we want the union to persevere. No one will tell you they're fighting Hitler against the atrocities against the Jewish nation. No one of my dad's generation in Vietnam will tell you they were fighting the spread of communism or Viet Cong. No one will tell you that we were fighting ISIS, Al-Qaeda. We weren't fighting Sunni clan fighters are the spread of global terrorism. The only thing you're fighting for is each other. It's so simple. It's so base and it's so core to everything we are as humans. Like we all want to belong and be part of something. And when you've had it, when you've had that unity of a team and someone on your left and your right, who's an absolutely count on them, you know when you don't have it you are acutely aware when you miss it. So if you ask me, hey, what are some of the things that you noticed that you've taken with you in life? It's been the value of the people who you choose to have on your left and your right. Because I had it at a level in the company of heroes, as Mike Turan would say. Those are the people that I squared off with left and right of me. 
And when you don't have that anymore, you spend the rest of your life looking for it. And man, it's, it'll wear you out and it'll wear out your relationships. I, I went through relationship after relationship trying to find this thing. It was unfair what I expected of a spouse or a girlfriend or friends of mine in a band. It was, I was expecting Gary Gordon's and Randy Shugart's. But man, Tim, like you and I stand up on a stage and we, they, get, they hand us a microphone and it's a big responsibility. When they hand it to you, you better have something to say. Like, don't suck. And, and the thing that I have to say is, what if we just had a few more Gary Gordon's and Randy Shugart's out there who thought that way? When it gets hard, we're their only hope. I promise you when my mindset, the things that I've taken with me from this battle, it's, it's evolved over the years, but it comes down to when there's difficult situations, I think about who I wanna be in that moment. And man, most of the time, I don't wanna go do it. I don't, because it's really hard. Like, like you hear, yeah, because here's how it works. I, be, I don't believe people are cowards, Jim. I think that there's a, people wanna be part of the solution if they believed that they were. But what happens is we sell ourselves short and they start doing things like, oh my gosh, there's a black cock going down. Oh my gosh. Oh, I hope they're going to be okay. And then it deteriorates into this thing, which, and the only reason I can preach on this is because I'm guilty of it. We find ourselves saying, oh man, somebody ought to do something about that. Yeah. Well, who's the somebody? And then I hear that voice in my head going, Kenny, what can you do about this? And who do you want to be? And that servant leader in me who sets the example for others to follow won't shut up. And I'm like, Ugh. when we need you is when it's hard and you got to go. And if we just had a little bit more of that, especially in our, our, our leadership at a government level, if we had a little bit more of that mentality of how, what can I do for you to make us and the mission more successful as opposed to, you know, it's your fault and it's your fault and the weakest link is Floyd. What, when we need you is when it's hard. And so take that story, crash site two, go back to crash site one. I was seeing all kinds of things like that all night long. And we had so many casualties, we couldn't get our people out. By the time the morning rolls around, it's 4 a.m. The guys on the vehicles never gave up. They kept coming and they went back and they got help. They got, there was some, the 10th mountain division was in town helping. They came out and, you know, God bless them. They, they pushed through and we loaded all the wounded up. And then we look around and we realize, well, there's no more rides. Like, how did it come down to that? Like we're the premier special operations, billions and billions and billions of dollars spent on the defense of this nation. And we can't get a ride out of Mogadishu because there's no more vehicles. They're all shot up. They take off and that leaves 30 of us and we're running out of the city. I wish I could tell you that we ran out and it was very methodical and it was, you know, doing what we're supposed to do. But what ended up happening, Jim, was I don't care where, I don't know where your suck meter tax out, but at some point, even in the elite, your comfort level gets into the red and you start making mistakes. And I mean, the research is very clear on this. Firefighters, police officers, athletes, special operations personnel, when you get overwhelmed, your vision goes like this and you start a tunnel vision, right? And you start focusing on only what's in front of you and it's, big, it's hard to see what's around you. It's hard to see 
what's happening to the people on your left and your right. And at some point in the run out of the city, guys started just sprinting across the road. And, and all you could do was just sort of keep up. And then at one point, the captain stops, which is what he's supposed to do, but only for a moment so that we can look both ways like we teach you. And then, but he stays because he's on the radio and he didn't see it. We're all bunched up behind him. And I'm losing my mind yelling at the captain, sir, move across the street. What are you doing? And David Floyd steps right out in front of me. Sir Thomas, look out. Go, 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 go. That kid saw something that none, there were six guys bunched up on that wall and nobody saw it. And it, was, it wasn't even a block away. It was maybe 30 yards, a 30 yard pass right there. Two dudes with rocket launchers leaned right out of a door and pointed them right at us. And Floyd saw them. What did Floyd do that was any different than what we were all doing? Well, he did what he was supposed to be doing. Did exactly what we taught him to do, which was cover. He could have played the dumb private. He could have looked and been like, oh, wow, man, Sergeant Thomas is, he should have a candle. He's yelling pretty loud. Well, look, look at the captain. He's, he's oh, well, he's, that's not smart. And just kind of look the other way. Like, I've played the dumb private in my life. Like, I've looked the other way when I didn't want to step in because that conversation would have been comfortable, would be uncomfortable, right? And I look back on that now, Jim, and if you had asked me that morning, who's the weakest link? You know, in my head, I probably would have been, well, you know, bless his heart, it's David. But when it came down to it, I think the weakest link, the guy who failed in that moment was me. Because I saw what was happening and I let it happen. I stood back, oh, I did what most people do. I screamed and I hollered and I yelled and I pointed a finger and I told them what they ought to be doing and I armchair quarterbacks and what are you doing? But I did not really step in and do what I could have done. I could have ran over and tapped on the, I could, you know what? I could have moved across the street and covered for the captain. Said, let's go. David saw the bad guys. Go, 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 go. Fires that. Now we don't teach you to fire over the heads of the captain. He doesn't like that. But, but, but David made a, that, that's a no-go. But David made a decision and it woke everybody up. And I'm not saying he, David Floyd changed the tide of the battle, but in that run out of the city, we all realized that we were moving way too fast. And the sergeant major yells, hey, everybody get inside. And we all jumped into this courtyard and he goes, everybody, everybody stop, take a breath, slow down. Now, as a coach and as a wrestler, you understand when a coach is telling you to slow down because what you're doing, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Slow is fast. You start stumbling and making mistakes when you get into a hurry because you're not seeing all of it, the big picture. But David did. And if you know what, man, if you would ask David, I, he would never have once even thought to tell you he was the weakest link. David believed he was part of something that was bigger than himself because that's what we told him. What you do matters, David. Who you are matters to us because my existence is squarely on your shoulders. I can't do it all and I need you. I need you to be great. And he, thank God we had somebody who had his head on right in that moment who did exactly what he was supposed to do. David said the same Ranger Creed that we said. You know, I am a specially selected and well-trained soldier. I will never shall I fail my comrades. He said the same stuff and he said it enough that he believed it 
And in the moment, he lived it. So that lesson never left me, which was, wow, I had the power to do something about that moment. And in it, I screwed up because I was waiting for someone else to do something about it because he had some rank. Like that, that Captain Steele was task saturated. You know, I was looking and pointing a finger and thank God I had somebody who I had taught who stepped in and picked up my slack. That's a big failure that may have gone unnoticed on the battlefield, but it's one that I try not to repeat in my life. Kenny, I, I've never, I've never gotten chills so many times doing an interview like this. Uh, I'm so humbled to have you come on and, and share your story and the story of these men who who fought and battled and some of whom lost their lives to keep their story going, to keep this story alive, to share it even with those listeners who have seen the movie, read the book like I have, and still know that there's so much more to these stories and there's more that, that needs to be told and, and these stories need to be continued to be told. And, and for the listener, this might be one of those episodes where you kind of go back and you listen to a couple of times because the amount of lessons that we just learned in the last 45 minutes or so that we've been talking is more than, than you can consume in one sit down. You know, how do you relate these to your lives? I mean, this is an incredibly powerful story uh, where these lessons are told in stark contrast because the results and the outcomes are literally life and death, where in our lives, maybe it's life and death down the road, right? Maybe we're failing in our health. Maybe we're failing uh, in our business and providing for our families. Maybe we're failing in a relationship, but they, all, they have meaning in your lives too. So go back, listen to this again. Kenny, uh, humbled to have you on, humbled to have you share this story. Uh, I'm speechless at this point, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Where can the listener find you, follow you, learn more about you, et cetera? Man, it's nowadays, I'll, you just type my name in. If something doesn't come up, somebody's fired. <laughs> it's Kenny, K-E-N-I, Kenny Thomas. You type it in, something will come up. Whether it's the, the country music side or the leadership side, you can find me out there. You know, and I'm really easy to get a hold of. If you've, especially if you've got somebody that you know is, is struggling right now with that transition from the military, from being you know, shoulder to shoulder with people of honor, and then trying to find their way out here and, and they're stumbling through it, you know, put them in touch because there's tons of really great resources for them to get involved with. And the best way to help ourselves is to help others. So what I always do is I find somebody and I have, well, what's going on? You know, and they'll tell you the transition's tough. Okay, this is a good start because this means you're actually looking to be better and you understand that something's not right. I need you to help us with this particular program. And then I've never met a veteran yet that says, no, I won't help others. So that's kind of how we help people find their way. We just figure out where, what their goals are and why those goals aren't being attained and where are they failing and how can we help them out? And then I'll tell you, if you ever want to come learn how we do it, like be part of a team that's very difficult and go through some shared hardship, you ought to come to our course. We run a three-day course that's for the private sector. It's called Downrange, and we take you through a mission training, 
and planning. And then we actually do an execution of a mission at the exact same way that we would do it as Rangers and Delta guys. And you will be so far out of your comfort zone that all you can do is try not to make mistakes. <laughs> you're going to learn so much about yourself and what you're capable of and how much you depend on others. I, I love teaching that course because it's a lot of type A's who are so used to being successful at everything that they do, but then they come into this arena where they're just so out of their element that it teaches them kind of like ranger school, teaches you how to lead people who don't necessarily want to or know how to be led in difficult situations. So we'll put a, I'll put that link up there for you if you, ever, or if you want to do it, that'd be great. Yep. And I will put that in the action plan for listeners. Just go to jimmarshallr.com slash action. I'll have the links to Kenny's website. If you want to hire him to speak, if you want to check out this program he just talked about or, or, or anything else, check out his music, et cetera. Uh, we'll have all of his links there in the action plan. Kenny, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Of course, buddy. Rangers lead the way. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, Let's Talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.